What do you love to do? Can you remember the last time you had a hobby that didn't involve an ulterior motive, that didn't involve money or hustle culture, and that made you feel maybe a little bit vulnerable and afraid to be judged? I want to hear about that story. We all have something that gives us passion, and it's my goal to re-inspire you to find the joy in your life by talking with other people about the things that make them happiest. I'm Megan Bream. This is Anything But Beige. Let's go. Hey guys, Megan here. Welcome to Anything But Beige. Hi, I'm so excited about, I'm excited about every interview, but that's just who I am. (laughs) But this interview is all about money and loving money. I know that so many people have fears about money or they come from a scarcity mindset. And I wanted to bring this person on just to show you that it doesn't have to be that way. And this woman, Tangie Seals, paid off $33,000 of debt in only 18 months. Can you imagine what that feeling had to be like on her last payment? I just, it, it's amazing. And I love hearing about her journey from this into shifting her mindset about money. And now she teaches other people how to love money too. And I hope you will as well. So without further ado, here is my interview with Tangie Seals, all about learning to love money. Hi, my name is Tangie Seals. I'm a money mentor. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Don't say what I do. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> okay. Sorry. No worries. Don't worry. Okay. So remember, this is not the business part. Right. This is just about loving money. Just loving money. Okay. I love money. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Three, two, one. Hi, my name is Tangie Seals and I love money. That that was perfect. So Tangie, thank you so much for being here. I am... This is, this has been on my calendar for weeks and I have been excited every week that it's been coming. Same. Me too. I've been really, really looking forward to this and I have some notes and again, I have a lot to say. So I'm really excited to be here with you today, Megan. That's fantastic. So I guess let's start at the beginning because it's a very good place to start. (laughs) So so, um, this is all about money, the money episode, learning to love money, which is a terrifying subject for so many people. So I want to start where you like your rock bottom and how you started to change your mindset and learn to love money. Yeah, sure. So I think for most people, whenever we start to kind of have this, oh, crap moment about money, you know, there's this big um, break, like something has happened. Usually in our adult life, something has happened, whether it's you've graduated and you have to start working or your car broke down or rents due this month and you can't pay it. We all have that moment. Um, But I think a lot of us also don't realize that there's usually some past moment in our childhood that we don't really know. We don't always realize how much of an influence it has into our lives today. So I think there's kind of a two part, at least for me, there is. Um, So my growing up, I, I grew up, I was raised by a single mom. I didn't grow up with money. I mean, we were on government assistance. There were times where we even um, slept in homeless shelters or in the car. I mean, we were constant couch surfers going from this person's home and that person's home and just whoever would open their homes to us. You know, we were lucky just to have family and my, my mom's friends who were willing to, you know, let us in. Um, so we didn't have a lot, but still we were always taken care of. And I am grateful for that. But I just remember that instability being 
just uncomfortable for me. I remember being in school and, you know, in elementary school too, you know, you see your, your friends and it's like, they go home to mom and dad and they have their normal house and their normal household. And it's just, you just want that kind of stability. Um, and my mother also was, um, an abuse victim. And I remember there was one, I've, I've witnessed physical abuse happened to her a few times, several times in my childhood, but that I remember there was one instance in particular, and this memory just still comes into my mind, even as an adult, um, every now and then. And it's like, it lights a fire under me to just get rich and, and, and be financially free. But I remember my mom, she was a really petite woman, like, I mean, five, one, maybe 110 pounds, really small. And, uh, she was married to, a, um, a just not a nice person at that time. And he was a really big guy. And I remember being in the living room and they're in the bedroom screaming and fighting. And I hear this commotion and um, I was probably like seven or eight at the time. And for some reason I just decided I needed to go in and like protect my mom. And I remember walking into the room and it's still just like, it breaks my heart to this day. Cause I can still see her. I see her like lying on the floor and like in a, in a fetal position. And I see him like, they're just kicking her in the stomach. And that is one memory of my childhood that I've tried to erase like mentally so many times. And it's always stuck with me. But I just remember saying like, I, that can't, I never want my kid to see this. I never want my kid to see this. And um, I always wanted to like, like save my mom, I guess. So my thing is like, I want to have money to make it better for my mom. I want to have money to take care of my mom. And um, sadly, my mom, she passed away when I was a teenager. So she's no longer here. But um, just really like wanting to be independent so that I wasn't dependent on a man so that I didn't have to put up with anyone's abuse. Because that's why we were there. To be honest, we were there because he had a home to take care of us. A nice one and that's why we were there and had that not been the case my mother there's no way she would have put up with that from him um so i knew i always wanted to be stable enough that i didn't have to take bullshit from anybody and um i wanted to take care of my mom so those were my two like childhood things um, and then my my oh crap adulthood moment happened after um i think a lot of people can probably relate to this um I got, you know, I went to school, got my bachelor's, got my master's. Everything's great. You're like, I'm so smart. I know everything. Life is great. And, and then like, um, I got that email from my student loan provider and it's like, yeah, congratulations. You graduated. Um, in two months, your first payments due. And <laughs> this is, this is how much your monthly payments are going to be. This is what your interest is. This is how long you're going to be paying off this loan. And I was like, <sighs> what the heck is going on? Like, you know, reality slaps you in the face because you have all these big goals and, and dreams that you're just, you kind of ignore the realness. You know, of course you're going to tackle your goals and your dreams, but you're like, oh wait, I still have these unfavorable, unsavory things I have to deal with in my life. And so that was my moment when I saw that I was 30 grand plus in debt. And I was just like, hell no, just mm -hmm. hell no. Because I was thinking what came into my mind was, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be in this in this state of always owing people money. Whatever money I have has to go out and be paid to other people. And then I'm going to be living a pay to paycheck to paycheck life. And then I just felt like I was going to be putting myself onto that road of dependence on other people. And I was like, no, that, that can't happen. And so that just kind of I, I kicked my butt into high gear. And I was like, OK, I got to pay this off and I got to start building wealth ASAP. And that was, those were the, my, that was my childhood moment. And then my grown up moment, the, the two that kind of influenced me to set on this path of financial independence and teaching other women about it. That's so, I, like you said, so many people can relate to that. I remember getting those letters from FAFSA, well, not FAFSA, but like the, the government, uh -huh. and like, 
you can pay it now if you want, but you don't have to. And then all of a sudden you get that. I remember they had this horrible marketing campaign or something about they like, do you remember this? They made a band and they called it six months grace because do you remember that? I, <laughs> I remember seeing that it was like right in like 2007 or 2008 when, right when, before the recession. And like right when I was graduating, I just remember like, this is the stupidest idea. <laughs> like, Oh, it's fine to be that much in debt. Look, we have a nice little country band to talk about six months grace. And this, and I was just like, oh my God, you, like you said, like the realization of anything that I bring in is going to have, is already earmarked for someone else. Mm -hmm. That is such a, a terrible mindset to get in. So you're going into this place of fear or I guess like emotional debt too, right? Of just whatever I have is not going to be mine. Yeah. How do you how do you start to dig yourself out of that? Yeah, absolutely. You, you, that's actually a good point to make is the the emotional impact that 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 takes onto a person because you do start to you're filled with fear. Like for me, it was like I I knew well, one day I want to own a home. I want to invest. I knew I had all of these big like money um, and, and wealth building things in mind and. I also know that you you don't become wealthy, truly wealthy, whenever you have a mountain of debt under you. And so then it started to it almost in the beginning, I started to just feel defeated. You know, before I even you know started, before I even started to fight, I felt like I was losing um, because I had all of this debt. I think that one of the best ways to combat that is to just suck it up. I I um sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes people call me a little bit uh, abrasive, um, kind of like even with myself or with my family and my friends, people who I know well and who I'm close to. Um, I'm really, really tough on myself and tough on the people around me. I think sometimes we get into a state of this thing, this bad thing has happened to me. And then we kind of want to wallow in that for a little bit. Honestly, I want to do those things too. And sometimes I allow myself to for about a day. I'm like, okay, you can feel sorry for yourself that you're in all this debt, or you can feel sorry for yourself that you're broke or you're paycheck to paycheck, or you don't even know how next month's bills are going to be paid. You can feel sorry for yourself today, but suck it up. And tomorrow you have to kick your butt into high gear and get and start a plan. Because I think that that self-pity doesn't get us anywhere. And I think that we tend to, especially kind of the way today's world is positioned um we've we not that we're we're soft but we do a we understand now that it's okay you know to to not be perfect and to make mistakes and it's okay to ease your way into things and that is fine but i think that some people um and I'm actually talking about some of my family members too. So I don't want anyone to think that like, she's mean. I'm actually talking about people that I know. Um, <laughs> but I, love this. Slope, I get it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm talking about people that I know, but where, where it's like, sometimes people take that to the extreme of like, it's okay that I'm not making any progress. It's okay. It, it's just, it's okay because you know, I gotta be happy. It's okay. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not okay. It's, it's not okay. This is going to be hard. It's going to be tough and you need to be, it's okay to be hard on yourself, but also be compassionate. 
You know, I don't think that being hard on yourself doesn't is, is the opposite of self-love, you know? So I think that you're still taking good care of yourself by being hard on yourself and making sure that you are staying true to whatever your goals are and that you are making progress to um, getting out of debt and to building wealth. Um, so yeah, I think that we have to almost have to have this mental toughness that has to kick in and this discipline um, rather than, you know, kind of making excuses. So I am someone who just is naturally like, probably harder on myself than I should be sometimes. But yeah, I think that once you know, like there's this big goal that I am after, um, I need it, I wanna pay off my mortgage or whatever it is. I think uh, with that one thing, you need to have laser focus and be extremely disciplined and diligent about getting it done. I think it can't be a soft goal. You know, if you say, oh, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna get out of debt. Well, what does that mean? You know, what does that look like? How much debt do you have? How much money are you going to pay each month to get out of your debt? What is your interest rate on your debt? How much money do you make right now? How much money is going to go toward your debt? What can you cut out of your budget right now that, and redirect those funds to your debt? I think that you have to get really, really detailed about what that big goal looks like mm -hmm. and then attack it like there's no tomorrow. I think it needs to consume you. And then I think that's how you kind of get there really quickly. I know my style sometimes is like, what? I don't want to be that obsessive and that crazy about things. But I think that whenever you want something to happen quick, I know we all are about instant gratification these days. And um, I think whenever you want those faster results, it's not going to happen overnight. That's for damn sure. But whenever you want things to happen faster, you have to devote a lot of your energy to it and just be really, really disciplined about getting it done. So, yeah, I think it just, you know, it, it's all in your mind. And I think that just, sharpening your mind to be really, really focused on whatever this big goal is. I think that is what will get you there. And then just kind of make you passionate about, about achieving whatever that financial goal is. And I think that that's so true for any goal really of just like, there's one thing about letting go and letting the universe take control, but then there's another of like, okay, I've let the universe take control, but I, I have to get the path. I have to make that happen. So how do you recommend people start? I think that we're just ingrained un unfairly with a fear of money of like, I, especially women, like it's not okay for me to want money. I'm supposed to be polite. I'm not supposed to ask for selling. Like that was something I had a huge issue getting through of like, I'm afraid to ask for money because it'll seem like I'm begging or I'm, you know, like I'm desperate or something. And it, I had to do a really huge mindset shift of understanding that asking for money is about my worth and my value. And like the thing that I have to give is worthy and uh, has a monetary value because that's how we yeah. communicate in our society. So can you talk about like, one, I want to hear about the huge goal of you paying this off in 18 months and what that takes mentally to start doing that. You know, you talked about you have to have focus and you have to um, you have to say, like, this is a goal that I really want to achieve and start working that out. But can you talk about, like, implementing that and how you got through how you got through that? Hey guys, at the end of every month, I'm planning to do a Q&A special answering all of your questions, either about what we just talked about or anything in between. I'm happy to hear back from you and help you out if I can. If you could do me a favor and go to thebeigehouse.com slash askmegan, you can leave your comment or your question there and I'll be able to get it. I'll be able to answer it on the next episode 
on the next Q&A episode. Again, the address is thebeigehouse.com slash askmegan. Askmegan is all one word. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, I love what you said. First off, let me apologize. Can you, the landscaper guy is blowing the invisible, there's no leaves outside, but he's blowing them around. Can you hear him? (laughs) No, I cannot. So. Okay, okay. I, I can't, and I'm like, there's nothing to blow. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're good. You're good. I'll start over. I love what you said about us, especially as women, sometimes being uncomfortable with money and talking about it and asking for it. Um, honestly, so I was actually having a conversation with a man. Uh, we were talking about real estate investing and I was saying to him, I was expressing some of my fears and some of my discomfort because I am full of them. I just ignore, <laughs> I just ignore them. I just try to stomp over them and just keep, keep going. And I was saying, you know, I think that traditionally, I mean, sexism aside, right? Cause we do have to acknowledge sexism and like inequalities in terms of pay and things like that. And it, um, not having equal opportunities for women. I know that that's a big part of um, why women are traditionally not as successful as men. So I know that's, it's, it's such, it's so loaded, but if I just, even, even if I just ignore that part, which is a huge part to ignore, um, I think that women are, are part of the reason why sometimes men seem to run circles around us in terms of success and in terms of money. It's not because they're smarter, because we're way smarter than they are. <laughs> in my opinion, we're, we're, we're much smarter and, and a lot of times more creative, but it's like, they just go for it. Men just go for it. Even when it's like a, a crazy idea, an idea where you're like, well, that's, that doesn't sound that smart. That's kind of whatever, but they just go for it. And it's, if you go for it enough, it's like at some point it's going to stick, you know? And I think that fear for women is so paralyzing that we, we miss out on a lot, a lot of opportunities and we miss out on a lot of money because of it. Um, I also think that we are, you know, we kind of feel like talking about money is, 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 is tacky or maybe we feel like, it makes us super vulnerable. Like talking about your debt, that's not fun. I, I I was really like struggling with that and struggling with being open about it, struggling with writing about it and sharing it on my social profiles. It was embarrassing, to, to be honest. Like it, it was embarrassing for me. Um, I have relatives whose credit scores are in the 500 range and they're embarrassed to talk about it. And, and, and I, I get it. I totally get it. And I think sometimes we sometimes have this shame if we are in like a negative financial state that we don't want to mention it. And then I've also met people and women too on the other side who are doing extremely well, who feel like, you know, it's again, it's tacky. It's not tasteful if I talk about my money or if I talk about the success that I have, because if it looks like I'm bragging or, you know, it can, it can just seem off putting. And so they keep their mouth shut. And whereas we don't typically see men, I mean, men, men are just, like, I, I'm rich, I have so much money, or, oh my gosh, I lost so much money on that deal. They just put it out there, whether it's good or bad. they're celebrated for it, yeah. yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so I think women, we just, it, it, it's maybe more, um, more emotions are kind of tied up in that to where we either feel like we're embarrassed by what's going on with us or where we're being too boastful and that that's off-putting to do. And I think that we do need to let go of that because whenever we talk about it, and we share stories, you know, kind of like we're doing now, then it's like, oh, well, my debt's, my debt's not so bad. I mean, it, it, I, I can't get out of it. You know, this isn't permanent. I can do something about it. I can fix this because I'm talking to this person and she did it and she told me how. Or, oh, I can build my house. I can go buy a house even though I don't have a husband. I don't have to have a husband to buy a home. 
I don't have to um, make six figures to start investing right now because the lady over there makes less than that and she's already investing. And it's like once we start to open up and talk about whatever's going on with us and whatever's going on with our money, then other women start to say, oh, hey, I can do that. Or, wow, I relate to her. And they feel more comfortable talking about it too. And then all of those fears and all of that discomfort that comes with talking about money, that dissipates. So I think we just kind of need to get out of get out of our, our comfort zone. And and it, like I said, for me, it still is uncomfortable talking about money. Like I, I had someone send me an email um, asking me something like personal, like regarding my budget. And I was like, oh my God, I don't, it, but it's my budget, but it's mine. I, I, <laughs> what? Like she wants to know my budget. And I was like, but why not? <laughs> like, why not? Like, why can't I share my budget with her? And so, and so I, I sent it to her and, and, and I was like, well, yeah, this is how I, in terms of percentages, you know, like this is what to the percent I spent on food and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, you can have it. But yeah, it's, it's really intimate and, and it is hard for us to share. Um, what I did, and this is kind of the second part of your question. So what I did whenever I realized I had this mountain of debt and I it needed to disappear, um, I, I just, I went and I looked at my bank accounts and I was just like, okay, what what money do I have? You know, what money do I have today that should that's sitting here? Um, I at the time, like like all graduates, I was like, I want to graduate. I want to have a nicer space to live in, and I want a new car. And so I'd already been saving money for a new car, and so I had a few thousand dollars saved for a car, and I was just like, okay, well, do you need a new car? Um, you know, separating needs from wants. I had a conversation with my aunt once. This is, I was a kid and she talked about separating needs from wants. And it was, I think you should call her and tell her this. It was one of those powerful conversations that we've had because it stuck with me to this point. And um, I was like, well, I have a car right now. It works well. There are no problems with it. I just want a new car because for cosmetic reasons, I just want a new car because it's new. And so the money that I had saved for um, my new car, I, it was about $6,000 and I was like, okay, well you don't need, I don't need it. So I took that and I had that one big chunk and just threw it toward paying off my debt. And then I went and I created a budget and I always say budget is like the real B word that, <laughs> that no one ever wants to talk about. <laughs> it's the scariest B word out there. Um, and it's like, nobody wants to budget. I just want to get money and buy things I want and be happy. Um, and so I, you know, I, I looked at my income and saw what I had coming in every month and then looked at what my other, you know, obligations were. And um, after I looked at what my obligations were, you know how your credit cards and your debit cards will give you like a summary of like your spending categories? Yeah. Yeah. I, used to, chart. yeah. yeah I ignored those all the time. I was like, I don't want to know that I'm spending too much money going to restaurants. Um, so <laughs> I was like, no. Um, and then, though, I started paying attention to those to see where my money was going. And I noticed that there was a category on one of my cards for entertainment. And it was like I was going to theater, movie theaters, different shows, plays, concerts and things like that. And that was a big chunk of uh, where my money was going. And I was like, OK, those are wants. Those are not needs. Um, I looked at sh my shopping category. My more money was being spent on clothes that I really don't wear. I wear like the same five things and I have for like the last five years. Isn't that crazy? Like I just <laughs> I have a closet full of clothes and I'm just like. No, I just, I want my, I want these pants. Yeah. This is, the, I want the pants like that are it. in the laundry that I've worn eight days in a row. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I was like, well, you keep wearing the same clothes. 
stop spending money on clothes. Um, and then like leisure things, like I love like massages and facials and like I am, I am a spa girl, love it. And so when I realized that the bulk of my money, honestly, Megan was spent toward unnecessary expenses. Um, and so I, you know, I, I went and I created my budget. And then when I realized that I wasn't including those things in a, in a budget that I actually had money left over, um, a decent amount of money left over. And so I directed that money toward paying off my debt. Now, it was extremely tough. Like I'm a person who, you know, especially pre the pandemic, I was a person who went to the movies like twice a week, mainly because I like to eat popcorn. Um, but that's expensive. You know, it's expensive to go to the movies and to buy concessions. And I was, get, you know, getting my nails done, manicures and pedicures every week. Like I was doing a lot of things every week and it became a part of my lifestyle. And so I had to change my lifestyle in order to, have that extra money. And so it, that was the hardest part was getting used to not doing those things that be, became so routine for me. Um, so it took like, again, that mental discipline had to kick in of like, is getting a manicure and pedicure and spending, I don't know, a 80, a hundred bucks or whatever on that today. Is that a need of yours? Like you're not going, I sit at home all day. I've always been an introvert. Even before the pandemic, I like to be home. So I was like, okay, no one's going to see you. You're buying new clothes to not wear for no one to see you. And, and so I would have to just like re recite these things to myself over and over again, because I always would feel the urge to go and spend on something unnecessary, or I'd still find myself going online and looking at cars and wanting to still buy a new car. So it was tough. I mean, it was, it was not a fun 18 month period. I can, I can tell you that I had to be really, um, almost minimalistic in, in what my lifestyle was. Um, and this is also another thing I, I sold a lot of clothes, um, mm -hmm. that I didn't wear. This is actually something I always forget to like <laughs> mention, um, because I, I, I did it a while back, but it was, um, one December that I just went into my closet again. I'm like, I keep, you keep buying stuff. You have no space to put it and you don't wear anything you buy. And so I went and I, I took out all the things that I hadn't worn recently and I just kind of let them sit in a pile and I kept revisiting that pile. Like, do you, mm -hmm. do you still want this thing? Do you still need this thing? And I also kept revisiting what was still left in my closet to see, well, do you actually, really, do you, do you really want this or do you want to get rid of it? And I found that a lot of things I actually didn't care for anymore. And so I uh, sold a lot of my clothes and I made like $700 in, in a month by selling. I sold a lot of stuff. I sold a lot of things, but it was nice that I had this extra money and that money also went toward my debt. Um, and also during that period too, I think anyone that does go on some sort of journey, whether it's you're saving money to to buy a home, to send your kids to college, to get out of debt, to start investing, whatever you have a financial goal for. Once you start to kind of budget and start to cut unnecessary things out, after you do it for so long, you realize that you don't really need those things. And and at least I personally became happier. Um, I still miss I miss my massages. Still now during the pandemic, I haven't had a massage <laughs> that I miss. But things like even like getting my nails done. I'm like, I don't, I don't actually miss that as much as I thought I would. I am, I'm so happy that I don't shop anymore. Shopping was stressful to be honest. And so just, yeah, it's really stressful. So really quality of life for me improved once I kind of cut out some of these, these unnecessary things. And so I think that that's also a, a hidden benefit that 
some people will probably find once they do start whatever journey is one you achieve that big goal that you want it you know you you saved up a down payment to buy that dream house but you also cut out unnecessary things that really didn't mean that much to you so now you have your dream right you have your dream house and your quality of life is better because you've also you've, you've trimmed the fat so to speak right you've trimmed out what doesn't really mean much to you so those are some of the things that I did to just really tackle tackle my debt and you know move on to my path of trying to get rich. <laughs> well, and I love that you talked about, um, especially at the end of just realizing that these things weren't fulfilling you. And it's funny how we're conditioned or we allow ourselves or both to just kind of believe, okay, if I have this pile of stuff, then that means that means something. I don't like, it means I'm successful or it means that I'm beautiful or it means that I, I love myself. Or, and then you take yeah. it away and you start to realize like, oh, that was just all symbolic of, of nothing really. Just of what <laughs> kind of sound like an edgy teenager, but like what society thinks that I should be doing. Yes. Yes, completely. Um, that, that's so right. Because I know, um, when I was in college, like a, like a lot of girls in college, I'd watch, I'd always watch YouTube makeup tutorials and I would always buy whatever was being recommended. And then, and that was also where too much of my money went. And honestly, I don't even like wearing makeup. I hate it. I mean, I, I will, you know, other than like a, a little mascara filling in my brows and like a, like lip gloss, that's kind of like my everyday go-to thing. But like the, you know, you need this, primer and this other kind of primer and then this foundation plus the concealer and then the the this goes on after then you have to bake and then the setting and I was, I was just like I don't care about this crap and all the I have so many like eyeshadow palettes and I had all the stuff that was just unopened because I'd see the video get excited buy it because I thought oh that's what you know you, you got to be we're all have all the cool makeup and you're cool mm -hmm. and you're pretty and and then I'd buy it I'm like it's just sitting there and makeup is expensive that so is so expensive. So that's one thing that I also cut out of my budget. And honestly, a lot of it I either gave, especially things that were unopened, like younger cousins or friends who do wear it. I was like, hey, here, you can have it. And then I just stopped buying it. And that's something else that like, quality of life improved whenever I have to go anywhere, whether it's to, to talk to you here today or even if I'm going to like a wedding, I only have a handful of things to to even put onto my face. So it's easier for, I can do my makeup quick, I can do it fast and I'm happy with the way it looks. And I'm not spending a hundred bucks a month on makeup products that I'm not gonna wear. So you're right, I do think we kind of, our, our stuff validates what we want to believe is true about ourselves, even if we're not, um, like like living a life that feeds into that or so or you know what I mean like for example I wasn't even wearing all that cool makeup and whatever else it was just there you know like you don't need it yeah toss it out you'll be happier and you'll have more money <laughs> at the end of the day so how did you make a transition from becoming a minimalist and avoiding becoming an uber minimalist of like I'm gonna make it a competition now and I'm gonna see like <laughs> I'm going to live on beans and that's it. And then you, you become incredibly depressed and gassy or something. I don't know. <laughs> so how do you, how do you get out of this mindset of you moved into a minimalist mindset because you had this ulterior, this ultimate goal of becoming debt-free. How do you start to 
change your mindset into money is not an enemy. It's a tool. Mm-hmm. Like where, where's, where's the transition there in your life and how do you recommend people do that? Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause my, my, my YouTube search history, I guess, went from makeup crap to minimalist videos and those videos, they <laughs> will suck you in. And then you start to see people, you know, living in like, I live in a 100 square foot apartment and <laughs> I have one shirt and you're just like, or like Mr. Money mustache or something. He's just like terrifying. Yeah. Like you get, you get super like into it. And I'm like, Oh my God, I want to do this. And I want to do that. And yeah, there was, cause I have an obsessive again, just, I, I just have an obsessive personality and I did, I got like really into it. I'm like, I want to get rid of all my stuff. And I, this is stuff is stupid and stuff is bad. And then, um, you know, a- after a while I was like, okay, it's okay to have stuff. It's okay to buy stuff. Be happy. Like if living in a 100 square foot box and having one shirt, if that makes you happy, go do it. And you know, if, if buying things and living the life that you want makes you happy, then, then do it. You know? So I do think you have to find the, the, this happy, um, happy balance. But um, sorry, what was the second? I got so wrapped up into minimalism. What was the second part of I'm your worried. question? Uh, it was more about like how, shifting your mindset into, um, I'm not afraid of money anymore and I'm going to use it to my advantage. Yes. So when I, so once I got to the point where my, when I got my debt balance down from 33,000 and change to 10, like once I realized like, Oh, I'm going to have this debt into the four figure, um, period. Then I started to think of you know, new, new opportunities. Like, okay, well, once this, once this is gone, then what's next, you know, then what happens, what can I do? I still will have this, this quote unquote extra um, money left over. Once I pay this off, then what can I do next with it? And I am such a personal finance junkie. I've read every single book on personal finance and building wealth, um, especially generational wealth for yourself and for your family. And of course, everyone knows that investing is, is, is king, so to speak. Um, it's, there, there are a lot of ways to get rich. I mean, you can, you can make a lot of money you, in terms of your salary. Um, you can start your own business that is just super successful. You know, you can just have a lot of income and be, I don't know, rich or what wealthy. And that is such a gray, those are gray terms too, because I think that they mean different things to different to everyone. We have our own definition of what rich is or what wealth truly means. Um, but then there's, there's the, what I think is also the, the easier way, you know, if you're not somebody who makes, um, I don't know, half a million dollars every single year, just in your income, um, you can still get rich. You can still be wealthy. And investing is an awesome tool. It's, it's the vehicle to building wealth kind of for the everyday man. And, and honestly, a lot, very, very pe- people who are already rich are also big investors too. But I think that we sometimes, I know I did at least, I thought that sounds crazy. You're going to like want to punch me for saying this, but I thought in order to become rich, you had to already be rich. Yeah, totally. Is that, yep. mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. In, investing isn't for the normies like us. Like that's what, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was having a conversation also last week with somebody and I just, I said, you know, growing up, I always thought that investors look like Warren Buffett and I, I like, I love Warren Buffett and, and I, I, I follow him closely, but I, you're looking at me now, Warren Buffett and I do not look anything alike. And so 
I just thought like, okay, well, that's what an investor looks like. And oh, well, he's a billionaire. Of course he's a, he's a, of course he's an investor and he's successful with it. I just thought you already had to be there. I, and I think we look at these super successful people or investors or whatever, and we kind of, we, we see them as they are now, but we forget that they came from somewhere, that they did start from somewhere. And so once I started to read more personal finance um, books and, and engage in personal finance resources, then I realized like a lot of people who were um, kind of like your next door millionaires and people who you don't realize are millionaires were kind of just like we are. They were people who were who used to be school teachers or who used to, you know, work as just an office manager or something like that. And I'd be reading their stories and I'm like, what? That's what you did for a living? That's how much money you made? Your net worth is what? And then I was like, oh, okay. And and it was investing that got them there. It wasn't that they made a ton of money in their in their income, but they were smart with not spending too much. They were big savers and they were investors and they just let let compound interest, really, they let compounding do the work for them. And so once I, I got my debt to that 10,000 mark, and I, you know, I was, I knew I was in the home stretch, and I could see the finish line. And, and I wanted to know what was, you know, what was going to be the next step to continuing, you know, building wealth, and I knew that I needed to start investing. So it was actually at that point that I did start to direct some of my funds to investing. I know that there are lots of schools of there's, there are many different schools of thoughts out there on investing versus debt repayment. Um, some people, big personalities who say, pay off your debt, don't do anything else until you pay off debt. There are some who say, well, you know, the interest rate on your debt is 3%, but your investments are gonna earn 10, then you should invest, you know, I, you know you, you'll have to kind of do, see what works for you. I knew that I wanted to start sooner rather than later. Um, I wanted to kind of get my feet wet. I wanted to learn more about investing and kind of see how, how that process goes while I was still paying off my debt. That way when my debt was at zero, I would be more informed about investing. I'd be more knowledgeable and be a little bit more comfortable to really dive into it. So I actually, at that point, that's when I started to invest and started building wealth in, in, in that way. How did you get started? Were you like on Robin hood or did you, what, what, how did you get started? How do you recommend other people get started? <laughs> yeah. I, so the, the reason I get started. It's weird. I've actually never shared. <laughs> I've never told anyone this, at least in, in terms of like a, a podcast or any any type of interview. Usually, at least on my platforms, when I talk about investing, I I take all credit. I still take credit for it. But um, so I am my my partner. We're, we're still together. Um, but my partner, he is he's a few years older than me, and um, so he's just. I guess you could say more successful or at the time that I started investing, he, I mean, he'd already been working for a few years. He'd already just, you know, just been more experienced. So he was just kind of further along in life, I guess, um, than I was. And he was investing and kind of getting into real estate and I'm super competitive and I don't like when boys know more than me and when boys are doing something that I'm not doing. And so I, I saw him kind of on this journey and I would get, I'd get, honestly, I'd get annoyed. He'd be talking about it and, and, and I wouldn't understand. And I'd be frustrated that I didn't understand. Um, I'd see him, so it wasn't like um, I'd be upset that he was doing well, but it was like, wait, he's doing well. Why am I not doing this? And also, why don't I understand it? And again, I'm competitive and I'm like, well, I just want to be smarter than him. I just want to know more. And so um, he would, he told me about Robin Hood and um, how he kind of uses that. And he, 
you know, you can refer a friend and they get a free stock and you do too. He's like, Oh, Hey, look, I have my referral, my referral code. And I was like, okay, well, I don't need a bazillion dollars to open an account because some of the research that I had done with other um, platforms and brokerages, you know, sometimes you need like, here's a $10,000 minimum investment. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll start investing in two years then if that's the case. <laughs> um, so yeah, he, he's like, yeah, you don't you, there's no account minimum. You get a free stock and you know, here, just open it. I think he just wanted me to open an account that way he would get a free stock to be, to be honest. Absolutely. Yeah. And, sure. um, I remember it's, um, setting it up and I, I got Groupon as my first stock or whatever. And I got Groupon too. I think I, I think Groupon and Fitbit. And that was like, and Thanks. I think Fitbit's the one that he got, honestly. I think that's what he got. And so, yeah, I, I was like, okay, well, like, I'm an investor now. Like, I have a, I own Groupon. This is so cool. And, and I think at that time, like, the value of a share of Groupon was like $3. So it wasn't like I was just doing anything fancy. But I was like, okay, great. I'm already invested in something. like 40 cents. So you win. <laughs> It's, it's a, I was like, oh, I'm. What if I get Apple or I'm gonna get Amazon? You know, I'm Berkshire Hathaway. Like, this is gonna be great. My free stock's gonna be awesome. It's like, no, just three dollar share Groupon. Um, but it's okay. And I, it's actually, it's I still hold on to that too. I still have Groupon. I was like, I'm probably just never gonna sell it just because it's my first. Um, yeah. And then free I money, started. So whatever. Yeah. Exactly. It's free money. I'll keep it. And and so I just started investing money into my Robinhood account just because it, I like, I loved Robinhood because it gave me the freedom to manage my money and to kind of see, to see what was going on with my money. Their user interface is a, is a lot um, friendlier. It's just, it's a lot easier to digest and understand than some other platforms. So I really liked Robinhood because I was able to get comfortable with investing by using that app. And then I also, I went and I opened up a Roth IRA account with Fidelity and, you know, max, I max that out every single year. And I, now I invest also not just in individual stocks, like using Robinhood, but I also do index funds and mutual funds and things like that. But I think at first I needed to do something on a smaller scale where I could invest a smaller amount of money and I could kind of just see what was happening. I wanted to just see it. And that's what I did love about Robinhood. So I think it's a great tool, honestly, for, for new investors, something like Robinhood, if you just want to, um, and maybe you don't even want to really invest. Maybe you just want to put a dollar in your account or use your free stock and just kind of see what the market is doing before you get comfortable. So I think that that's a great tool, um, especially as opposed to maybe using some of the bigger, more traditional brokerages, just because I think that, that information, the way it's all, it's, it's put out there for you. The information is just harder to digest for most people who are new. Um, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't explore those, those routes too. I think that those are, you know, Fidelity, Vanguard, Schwab. I think that those are also great avenues to have and, and great to have accounts with them as well. Let's talk about, you said that you started reading just any personal finance book you get on your a hold of. So one of my favorites that actually got me in a really good mind space was your money or your life by Vicki Robin, which was about, do you know that book? I've heard. Yes. And it's on my list. I have a list of a bazillion books to read because I love reading and that's on my list. It's, it was so smart just because it, it was one of the catalysts that made me realize that um, it, essentially it's about like you calculate how much money and time it takes you to go to work. <laughs> and you know, it, 
long story short, like I, I spent half of my salary to go to work and it was terrifying in a first sense, but then also like, oh, I don't have to make that much money to survive. I have to make half of that to be self-employed. And so it was really freeing. And that was mm-hmm. just like a huge mindset shift for me when it came to money. But like, what what books would you recommend for people listening to this? Oh, yeah. I... <laughs> I love it's it's I'm gonna sound just so cliche by the books that I recommend. I need to become more original. Um, but one of my favorite, one of my favorites, one of my favorites that everybody's heard of. Um, but if you haven't read it, you have to. But Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. I know that one is like probably over recommended, but it's 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 that good, especially again for somebody who's newer and needs to have Rich Dad, Poor Dad caused me to have that light bulb moment. Rich Dad, Poor Dad helped me realize that I needed to be out of debt. It helped me realize that I needed to start investing. It helped me realize that that's what the richest people in the world, even high earners, they're, they, they're investors. And it also helped me realize the importance of, you know, owning the things that I have and such as, you know, like even with investing in real estate, like it, it taught me that you can build wealth just as an everyday human you can build wealth but this is what you need to do you want to be debt free and you need to own the thing own your home own your car whatever own them outright and also invest in income generating assets and so that was it just i had a lot of light bulb moments whenever i read that book and so again i know i I was hesitant to come out and recommend it because i know everyone's like someone tells me about rich dad poor dad one more time like the classic is a classic for a reason that's yeah yeah Yeah, it's an awesome one and then another book that i like it's um it's kind of told as more of just a a story um but the richest man in babylon it's also another one that's pretty popular um what i loved about the richest man in babylon is it was because it's written and it's set in like a trillion years ago, I don't know. Um, to where, like, like the language is is, is like, for example, they'll say they they talk about shillings or coins in a purse, and and this is the time they're only talking about men too. Like, there's no women in this book, um, and so yeah, you're like, just the way it's written, you can tell it's just set really, really old. But it it gives you just these basic principles on financial independence, and I think I like it that it's not set in today's time. Like, it's not. Related to, um, you're not talking about a cable bill or, um, I don't know, a Netflix subscription. You know, it's just, they're just talking about money in in like very simple, simple terms. And it's short, it's a quick read too. So that's one of my favorites, uh, The Richest Man in Babylon. And then um, for people who want almost like an instruction guide and action steps, there's a book called I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And I love that book. Yes. Really, really good. Yeah. There's some, there's a lot of good nuggets of information um, in that book. So that's one that I recommend for someone who's like, okay, I don't need to hear um, a story from a thousand years ago about, I don't, I don't want want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need to hear that or rich dad, poor dad. um, Okay. That's, that's, Maybe that that's too much for me. I, I just I want to know what I can do today, right now. Um, I will teach you to be rich is definitely one for anyone that wants digestible information that's easy to implement. I, I say that's a great starter. Well, when I am realizing that I am way over my head with money and I'm terrified of it, 
How do I come to you? Like, what, when do you recommend people start coming to you and how can they? I think that people can come to me even in those early steps because I, to be honest, Megan, I'm not that far from being debt free. You know, that these are all still really new to me. I still remember, I can still feel all of those feelings. And so I can still really relate to someone who is in that feeling of despair and, and hopelessness and just feeling overwhelmed. So even from step one, if you're just confused and you don't know where to start, you can definitely come to me. I enjoy working with those people most because that's where you have the biggest emotional shift. You know, that's where you go from feeling like I am just completely defeated to saying, oh my gosh. I can win, you know, I can beat this, I can win and I can thrive in this. So as early, you know, once you have that, that, that moment of, oh crap, kind of how we did with student loan debt. Once you have that, oh crap, I can't be, I'm in debt. This is driving me crazy. What do I do? How do I get out of this? The, come to me right away. Those are the people that I love to work with because I know exactly how that feels. And that's also when you're most fired up about, about tackling it and doing something about it. Um, but then there are also people who talk to me um, who are further along and they're like, Hey, I am debt free and I'm trying to get started with real estate investing. I'd like to hear more. This, this is where I am now. And that's, and that's where I am in my journey too. And Oh my gosh, has that been, a doozy um, <laughs> with with the real estate investing. Investing in the market is one thing, but real estate is it's 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 full of a lot of up, ups and downs. I mean, the rewards can be immense, but the headache <laughs> it's it's crazy. So so yeah, I do have people who are further along in their journey, and they come to me, and I enjoy working with them too. But yeah, I love I love the the beginners. I love the newbies. So you can come to me anytime. And how can they get to you? You can find me. My website is called tangiseals.com um, and find me on Instagram also at tangiseals.com. I, I get lots of DMs there. Feel free to DM me or even send me an email and reach out and I'm happy to have conversations. I love sending DMs and emails back and forth to people and uh, sharing more, more details of my story that maybe I don't share publicly and hearing more about there. So yeah, find me on Instagram at tangiseals or on my website tangiseals.com. Or you can e email me at tangi at tangiseals.com. And I will vouch that her Instagram is amazing. You have such good content on there. You're so generous with your knowledge. It's, it's definitely worth checking her out. Thank you so, so much. Yeah. And thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs>